welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. In the podcast, we will explore the dark secret of the cloud and cyber. In this podcast, we focus on cybersecurity, cloud security, and in this particular episode, we have the pleasure to speak with Andrew and discuss about anything application security, how to make an application security program work, and check out our latest podcast at www.cybersecuritycloudpodcast.com. I hope you enjoy. Andrew, CEO at Cygnus Science. Andrew, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, we, we've had a bunch of really fun conversations before, so I'm really looking forward to the conversation today. Uh, my, my name is Andrew Peterson. I'm the co-founder of a company called Signal Sciences. Uh, we are a modern uh, web application firewall vendor. Uh, we do runtime application self-protection as well. Grasp, uh, you can sort of thank Gartner for that one. Uh, we also protect uh, APIs, uh, microservices, and essentially anything sort of layer seven protection. My, my background is uh, both in sort of cybersecurity, but then also in product development and, uh, uh, and working closely with engineering teams. And that's, uh, that's sort of what our passion is, what we focus on. And, and I think probably what a, a lot of the conversation we're going to have today is about. Yeah. And th- thank you so much for coming here. Uh, and this conversation originated in a side conversation that we were having, and it was so exciting to talk about some of the application security stuff that I said, I, I need to, I need to share this with the audience. I need to share this with everybody. So hence yeah. the conversation today. So thank yeah. you very much, but yeah. I'm going to challenge you very quickly with a sure. 10 seconds, uh, uh, advice on cybersecurity. Andrew, go. So the thing I tell my mom and my wife and my, my family is use a password manager and, and enable two-factor auth. And those are the two best things you can do to protect yourself. Very good. That's, I think I got my mom to get uh, a password manager. She doesn't use it all the time, but I'm going to have her to, to start speaking about MFA without complaining too much. I, I, I wrote down directions for how to use a password manager sort of step-by-step for, for folks because... You know, it's not easy. I think this, again, we were no, kind of talking not. about this before that like you don't want to sacrifice usability when you actually have security. But, um, you know, I, I think that technology is getting better, but it's, uh, yep, like those are it's, it's not frictionless. And we were joking with a couple of podcasts ago with Kevin that um, he's dead, is not very tech friendly. So his password manager is a book with all the passwords. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine, honestly, as long as, even if they're written somewhere, as long as you do something about it, um, it's good enough. Yeah. But anyway, so let's talk a little bit about application security. So Etsy, talk yeah. me a bit, I know you, you've been involved there and I mean, application security is such a, it's such a human uh, challenging challenge because you had to, you know, as you said, frictionless combined security element and the best program of all is the one that is actually uh, focused on doing something pragmatic yeah. with developed with and inside the organization. And I think from the side conversation that we had with Etsy was exactly that chemistry that made it work. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so a quick background. Um, so we started Signal Sciences. I started it with two other founders. We were all three of us were working at uh, at Etsy at some time before. Etsy is a for folks that don't know, just that are listening. It's a big online retail company. They do multiple billions in transactions a year now. And you know, it was about ten years ago that we started working there. And they were 
you know, what's what's what was sort of interesting about our time there is that they were really kind of at the forefront of some of the movements around DevOps and and sort of the actual software development practices. Um, and I so I ran part of the like about half the product team. Um, my other co-founder ran the security team, and then my other co-founder ran our sort of engineering, um, sort of uh, our operations and engineering team. So what was you know, what was interesting is like my personal background, having run run the product team and really on the sort of really on the other side of the fence from security. Right. And then and then, um, you know, sort of uh, working really closely with with Zane and Nick on the security and engineering side was that like it's really helped me moving with that background into security because um, really understanding that uh God, the job of being an application security professional is extremely hard. It's hard. It's, I mean, and you know this, right? Like, like, and we've talked about this from some of your experiences is that like, look, there's so much of the role is about finding flaws and bugs in code, right? And whether or not that's so telling with, people you've wrong. Yeah, telling people that they screwed up, right? And things that they that they broke, but then also trying to trying to convince them to to fix those things, right? And so. You know, we're 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 in a position where we don't have a whole lot of control. What can we do? We can we can do static analysis. We can do dynamic analysis. We can do pen tests. Maybe you do a. But you don't want that stuff. But you don't want that stuff to be just sitting in a report because that's pointless, right? You you don't want it to, but that's. I mean, it tends to do that, right? Like it sits there, and <laughs> and you know we so so. Zane and Nick were really more on the security side when they came in and they were establishing the program there and they did some pretty forward leaning mm-hmm. things, which was, you know, they, they, they did get a bunch of code analysis stuff going on. Um, we, we were one of the first people to launch a bug bounty because that was actually a super, super valuable program for us to be able to get, you know, some sort of feedback loops coming back in from people that were doing research. Um, but I think the thing that we were, we, we sort of eventually got most interested in and or worried about on this, on, on the security side was, well, look, we have a team of security researchers and engineers that are doing hardening on the different parts of our web application that we thought were, you know, particularly vulnerable um, or particularly um, uh, particularly important to us from like a um, uh, from just an asset perspective. And what was that mm-hmm. for us? Like at, a, at, a, at an online retail site, it was the payments pipeline. So we yeah. spent a ton of our time really focused on trying to harden that for I, I think for a really good reason, right? And we also sort of, I, I think inherent in that assumption was that like, that's where attackers would be focusing. So we did a bunch of hardening, like we got PCI compliant. We actually built our own payments pipeline when we were there in the first place, which was like that, that was hard Amazing. in and of itself. But I think after we I kind want, of- I want to hear, I want to hear a bit more about what the regulator says about building your own, <laughs> building completely your own thing, because I would, I would assume it would have been hard to sell it to. Yeah, that's especially... another conversation entirely, I guess. Yeah, especially eight years ago, right? It was, it was sort of different stuff, but we were also yeah. doing DevOps practices that were also quite different there. So we, we had to get, um, uh, you know, we, we were totally, we were totally compliant. Like we weren't, we weren't doing anything different, but we, we had to get creative with how we actually set up that environment to be able to, to, to pass that. But, um, you know, once we sort of got the checkbox from a compliance perspective so that we could actually do business there, I think we were able to start really thinking about, okay, well, look, we got, we got the basics done with, from, from a compliance perspective, how do we actually like, what are we actually then worried about then from a security mm-hmm. perspective? And, uh, you know, with, with, the introduction of uh, you know CI/CD of of continuous deployment, continuous integration, 
one of the things that was like a big challenge for us is that we were doing a hundred code deploys a day. Like, like code was going out the door. Try to blow dead. Right. Like, like we were doing that all the time. And so this is where we started to kind of run into some, like in some ways, like some philosophical problems with how the industry had approached application security versus where the software development side of the house was going. Right. And we weren't slowing down on the software side of the development side of the house. Right. Like it wasn't like, it wasn't like they were like, cool, we're doing this DevOps thing. Now, oh, we're going to pull it back because security wants us to pull it back, right? So Security is a traditional thing. It, it is, but like that sort of ship had sailed and we, you know, we were sort of given the mandate from our, from our senior leadership on the, on the technology side was saying like, look, as you build your security practice, we will give you resources to build things in-house if the things that are off the shelf don't work for you. But it has to be you in need to service the pace. of. Yeah, it has to be in service of. It has to support this style of engineering program that we were doing. And so we were saying, like, look, it's got static analysis. Any type of code analysis stuff, typically, like, it can take days to run. Like, at the time, it, it could take yeah. up to a week to run to get something out. And within that week, we would have 500 code deploys that would happen. So the code would already be totally And you need to different. raise stuff from scratch. And then you start from... And so we're like, okay, well, that's not going to work. And then the uh, the other side of the house, which would be, like, you know, actually, we, you know, we had multiple different WAF products that we would use, these sort of legacy WAF products. And we're like, well, how are we supposed to, like, manage and update all the rules when the code is changing all the time, right? And you had all these regex rules that you were essentially continually breaking different parts of the app as we were launching new pieces. So those were, like, that was essentially the context under which we were we, we were we were given this ability to kind of reimagine how do we approach doing application security in a way that actually works in this context. And the funny thing is, is that like, I think the lessons we were able to learn there by just being like, look, let's start from scratch. Like forget all the stuff that we've done before. What can we do go forward? It gave us this ability, I think, to, to, to think about it in a, a little di- a little bit of a different way. And, and so, so this is, this is kind of what, this is the background of what kind of brought us to some of these learnings and some of the methods that mm. we actually started to do that be, that were quite um, valuable for us. But so so there were a couple of things. Number one is okay. So we got that PCI checkbox. We we got some basic hardening done. We had gotten some pen tests done, and so we we had kind of knocked out, especially some of the. Um, That's the compliance stuff. That's yeah, the compliance yeah, list check, checklist. It is. It is. But it's also like, look, the the high priority bugs. Like we could get people to do the high priority bugs. Like that wasn't that wasn't terribly hard, right? But it was all the medium and low bugs that were like, man, there are so many of these. We we can't possibly get our our teams to really go through the backlog. I mean, look like you know what static analysis spits out it spits out like a thousand bugs right and it's like are you really gonna go fix all those things and by the time you fix all of those things again there would be another tons of it with with the rate of change so so look we said okay philosophically we need to live with the understanding that having bugless code is not a it's not it's not realistic like we're not going to be able to ever not at this pace it, 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 it's not going to be realistic. And, and to be honest, like if you actually like sat down and you said like, Hey, we're going to make like security bugless code. Like it, it doesn't matter what pace you're moving. Unhackable, NSA proof. <laughs> shall, we, shall we name few of them? I, I heard more. Right. <laughs> the so unhackable like, code. Like, like regardless of how fast the code is changing, like that, it, it acts like if you verbalize it and you really kind of like think about it, it's like that actually isn't a good goal, right? Like it's not a good goal. It's probably not attainable. Like humans are humans. They're fallible. This gets back to that human component of what we're doing. 
And so, I don't think I don't think is is philosophic is a human element. Is the speed of change that we are used to because yeah. it's always it's always a debate in my head. If I look at it from an in, pure engineering perspective, like I'm building a hospital, I'm building a bridge. There is no way I can apply uh, the same philosophy that we apply in software, like we ship yeah. bug codes or code with potential things. There is a full extensive testing, but the demand that the market is asking us. It will never be like that. It's, it's a completely different field, I think. I mean, the demand and then also the culture, right? Like you have Mark Zuckerberg saying, move fast and break things. And that's like a, a core you know, philosophy of an engineering team. And, it, you know, it, it's just... But I think it works really well in very traditional organizations. So I think mm. from if we dial back, uh, removing the set, but if we dial back to the DevOps perspective, yeah. it was born or it was supposed to born in an organization that was slow in change or slow in delivering effectively what the developer needed at that specific time. So it removed yeah. that frustration. So it, it, in my philosophical question, I have a lot of people that disagree, uh, and some of them that agree with me is DevOps of the purpose. We should maybe rethink DevOps like the next phase that is a little bit more architectural phase and, and looking at things about more structurally or going fast some organization got there now what's the next step yeah how do we do security so security could be very very quickly or as you say it's you know there are several options i think yeah we have the next step well i mean so that's a great segue because i think so as we were starting to think about okay cool we can't this concept of bug with code is impossible we need to know that we're living with production bugs in production and those are going to be security flaws that we know about um, again, we can get rid of the high ones just because politically that was possible to do um, to get engineers to Black prioritize. Them. <laughs> right, like uh, uh, we got, yeah, like like we we did. You got lucky <laughs> from a security perspective. You got lucky. Well, and and Zane was a great cultural, uh, especially a great cultural CISO because he really focused on building relationships with the engineering teams to make sure that they would actually do stuff. But it really felt like every time that they would fix a bug, it was like they were doing you a favor. Right. And it's like instead of actually like, you know, doing it's like you're asking them to do a favor every time rather than being like, hey, we're kind of on the same page with these are things that we should prioritize. So that's the doom of security. It, it, it is. Right. You're, always in the, you're kind of always in the way. Yes. Right? Yeah. So so we what we try to look at is we, we looked at what they were doing on the DevOps side of, of our organization to say, like, look, you know, operations kind of has a similar problem or at least they have in the past, which is. You know, we want to have 100% uptime. We never want our code to go down ever. And that was kind of the previous model, the previous paradigm. And then you get into DevOps and what, like, we knew that moving fast actually would result in breaking things. But the philosophy there was that it's not that we wanted 100% uptime from from a development perspective. It was a couple of things. Let's, let's split out into microservices so that if some piece of the service went down, not all of the pieces of the services went down. Resilience. And then also, let's set up a ton of monitoring in place so that as we're releasing the code, we are able to identify the problems or the breaks that are happening as it's going out, and then we can fix it quickly, right? And so... So fail fast, break fast, and recover fast. It, it fail or fast, even resilience. Fail fast, I identify the failure fast and then fix it fast, right? And so I think that's that's really where we started to say, okay, well, what's the security story there? And for us, it was, okay, well, we have like we have all this code that's going out. We assume that there's problems in the code, but we actually don't have any visibility into 
what attackers are actually attempting to do on the code itself. So the question we wanted to try to solve for or, or answer is, where are attackers actually trying to attack us in the first place? And are they having success in that attack? And if we can see that success early on, can we use this ability to, uh, you know, to change code quickly as actually a defensive tool because we can fix the code before it actually gets exploited, right? Um, and yeah. this was, so, so, so when we started, we started just kind of putting up basic monitoring in place of different types of security signals that we thought about from an attacker's perspective. And this is really where, like, um, you know, Zane's experience. The main kid. Yeah, well, Zane's experience as an attacker was really helpful because he's like, well, here's what I would do. And then Nick would be like, well, here's how I would actually try to identify what you're trying to do. On the app. <laughs> so it was like, Temple Top exercise is great. It, yeah, no, it was, it was peanut butter and jelly. It was really good. So we put that stuff together and we, we, we started being able to get visibility for the first time into what our attackers were doing. And that's where we started to have breakthroughs, certainly on the security side, right? On the security side, we said, huh, well, it turns out like our attackers actually aren't attacking the place that we assumed that they were attacking, which was the most, what we'd say, the, the crown jewels are the most valuable part of the app, right? Yeah. Like, which was the payments pipeline. They were attacking us in our uh, customer service portal. They were attacking us in all these marketing pages that we didn't even know existed before and trying to attempt to do lateral movement, right? Like within that, like, I mean, I, I got to tell you, like we found all these marketing sites that we were like, what like when was that built? Like you know, it was built like four years ago. It's still running. It had like who you know, built some, it? Yeah, some type of access to our databases in the back end. Like so, it was it was you know nobody was exploiting things at the time. Luckily, like but we were able to actually start to pattern match on. Okay, well here's where people are actually attacking. And this is this is the point that you and I started talking about that really got interesting. Mm -hmm. Is that so? Look from a security perspective, we didn't have that visibility at all before. So that was extremely helpful for us to figure out just where we wanted to spend our hardening efforts, right? But when it when it started to be able to be really scalable for us is that when we took that visibility into what attackers were actually doing actively on the site, which by the way was way more way more like activity than we had expected, right? Like even from yeah. a security perspective and that's that's like the the paranoid security as people the as soon as you remove yeah. the lead, you just—is it just a kind of worm? You're just deciding which worm you want to pick, and which yeah. one is. And that's the interesting part where we hit like a, a, a different view from GLC perspective, where we focus on the impact, 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 and where you were saying like PCI payments, like that's the crown jewel, or what's actually happening on the ground. Well, we could protect the crown jewel, but somebody can just go on the side door, and it's not important, but there's still a door. Right. Yeah. And so that's where our conversation with, with engineering really was able to change. Um, and it changed in like a pretty fundamental way because what, what, and this is actually where like the interesting part of like me being on the product side of the house and talking to Zane and being like, okay, great. Like, yep. I'll, I'll make sure that we're prioritizing some of these really high, high priority, um, you know, bugs in, in our next, you know, sprint with the team that we're, mm -hmm. that we're working on. And most of the time I would do that because, Zane was a, he was a great guy. He was a great leader. I trusted him. He said this was really important to him. And so like, I did it right. And like, he was leaning on his relationship to be able like his relationship with me to be able to like do the right thing. Um, but you know, I, I wasn't, I was never as a, as a product manager or as a leader of engineering teams or, or the engineering themselves, like we weren't, 
we weren't incentivized like to build you know super resilient software like we were trying to get business done right like we were trying to achieve yeah. business objectives out of the way use stories out of the way right like, as many but, as possible but we also wanted to do the right thing right like we wanted mm. to do the right thing and so i think that's that's where we were probably better than most of at least having that perspective right um but what changed was when um yeah when we started to get that visibility of where attacks were happening in in our environment but also got that into the hands of our product and, and engineering teams we really started to see like most of the time when 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 the when the appsec teams or with when the security teams would come to us with lists of bugs we'd be like okay that's great but like you know are we really under attack like at that point we were kind of a smaller startup at etsy it was you know, Etsy is it's a online marketplace. We do small to be attacked. Yeah, we're like like look, we're not we're not Amazon. We're not some major you know target. Like who's gonna who's gonna target us? Like and, I heard it yeah, all the time. Yep. So so that was certainly my like my perspective, but I think it was the perspective of most of the engineers. And to be honest, I think yeah. it still is the perspective of most engineers. Is that they're kind of like okay, you know, the security team is gonna be paranoid, and of course they're gonna come to us with bugs, but like coming to them with bug wasn't some like like revelation they were like look like i know i have bugs in my I know code it. like I, I know that there's bugs there and i have all these other functional bugs that i could be working on to help make the product actually work better for all time. these cases exactly like, time and risk management time and priority right like why yeah. should i work on this over all the rest of these things and when we could come to them and say look look this is not a theoretical attack that's happening but it's an active attack that's happening on your code base on this form field with this payload, they're like, oh, wow. Like, it's actually, like, not only was this a revelation because they- It's data. They, it's data. Like, it was like, look, the attacks are actually happening. And it was data to an extent that they could see what they were actually attempting to do and learn from that. And that that really changed the, essentially it changed the culture within the organization is that instead of being in a position where from an AppSec professional, you're, you know, you're kind of stuck in this job of suggesting. Yeah, like instead of just you identifying bugs, you, you start being like, yeah. look, like, well, and this is probably the most pessimistic way to look at it, but like instead of the engineers thinking that the security teams internally are their like their nemesis, right? Or being like, oh, they they're can, helping them. They're working on it together. Like the, the bad guy becomes the attacker, like because you both have data to show what the attacker is doing instead of the bad guy being the security guy that's coming to them and telling them that they have bugs in their code. And when we yeah, had like, that, let's say, let's save the day. This is happening right now. Let's yep. figure it out. Uh, fixing the code or in runtime. So sec and ops actually work together with the dev. And, and, and that's where defend. Yes, exactly. So, so number one, it made it so that we had like a, a unified bad guy and the bad guy was the attacker, which is, mm -hmm. I think everybody wants that, but the common enemy. <laughs> yep, yep. But then the, the, then the second is that we actually started to see, I mean, that dream of being able to have monitoring in place to be able to identify the attack and then actually fix the code before the attack was able to be executed. We started doing mm. that. Like, and we had like, there were multiple release before during an attack, like during an attack. I mean, we, we had this awesome Reddit post that, um, that a security researcher put up while we were there. That was like, uh, this was like this crazy experience. And what he had was that we had, you know, we had a bug bounty going on. And so he was researching this bug and he was, you know, essentially attempting to exploit it. And we like, he, he, he kind of put Fix down it his, well, he... yeah, he woke up the next morning and he was going to finish his exploit and we had already fixed it. And he like, he wrote into us being like, Hey, by the way, like I was going to report this. 
I promise you, I wasn't trying to, you know, hack you. And we were like, like we emailed him back and we said like, oh no, no, no. We already knew that that was happening. Thank you. We were wondering who it was actually going to come from, but like, you know, no worries. We, we saw that you were testing this and we assume it was a, it was a good thing. And the guy was like, I've never seen this ever happen anywhere. Um, yeah. Like that somebody could actually find me mid, mid, mid exploit process and actually solve the problem before it happened. So look, that didn't happen well, it's, every it's day. Find, finding, I've seen it happening. I've seen people catching up like bad bundle testers and stuff like that in exercises, but fixing it live, that's something unique. But 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 that agree. shows that shows like what do you need for that? You need um, you need the tools to do it. So you need this sort of DevOps tool chain to actually fix and ship code quickly. And you need buy-in from the engineering team that they'll actually drop everything and solve something. Like so, you need both those. And we had both those. And we were like having those examples within the organization, and then showing people like Reddit posts like that. Like that's what changed culture internally because people. But were that's like, mashing. That's mashing that theoretical wall where developer not just developer and operation is working with the developer but other way around as well so developer are working with operation to defend and security is not just uh, application security team is architecture security team and incident response and people still see them as silo there needs to be consistent flowing and application security and devops is the kind of as you just said is the kind of things where those comes together, but that's the next step. That's the logical next step. So how do we should take uh, security? Well, that's, I mean, you know, it's a funny thing. Like we never called it DevSecOps, but like what ended up starting to happen <laughs> was, is that we, we were just like, look, security is just a, it, it's just another um, signal into all the different things that a, uh, a DevOps team or an SRE team or whatever you want to call it is monitoring for mm-hmm. what's happening in a production system. And if you're getting these feedback loops of being able to identify errors and then correlate that with like being able to triage and, and, and fix those errors quickly, like that's where, like if you see a spike in 500 errors that's coming from the application, the first thing that our operations team would, would say is like, oh, are we under attack? And if we could get them attack monitoring to show them also at the exact same time where they didn't need to come to the security team if they weren't under attack and they could- No, they're like, fixing themselves. Yeah, you, all this bad code monitoring push. data. And then they were like, oh, this is great. So like, like, and, and then honestly, and, and then if there was a problem and they needed to escalate it to us, like they had a very clear path to be able to do that. And then we could execute on that problem quickly because we both had the same visibility, right? Like, in But you had also the buffer yeah. and you had also the buffer to work on it because you, you weren't consistently firefighting or try to win hearts and mind. You were actually getting things done. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I so, saved myself to getting, getting edited. <laughs> Esting. <laughs> well, so like, look, like we tell that story to people, and they're like, "Look, that's a pipe dream. Like, we're never gonna have that type of it is. setup, right?" And we're like, "Look, of course it is." But you know, for us, when we sort of started to think about like what were the kind of stepping stones to get to that point, and hopefully, like, I'm actually quite hopeful that we are on a good path towards that because I do see that security teams and engineering teams are starting to overlap uh, like a lot more than they have in the past, but. Um, you know, the first step to that was that like, as security practitioners, we didn't even have visibility. Like we didn't even know where the attacks were going. So like, even if we could just- How get many that, assets do you have? Right, like even if we could get that even visibility that? and start to understand, yeah, like I was saying before, we identified all these websites we didn't even know that were running <laughs> before, right? Like, And probably the CIO doesn't. It was a huge win for us, like just from a security perspective, even if we didn't start develop that, that um, you know, that relationship with the engineering teams over time, because 
you know, we then knew where our risk was. And it wasn't just about, you know, the severity of the asset or the value of the asset. It was also about how likely it was to get breached based on how much mm -hmm. attack activity was happening there. And that then gave us the ability to also start to speak with our engineering teams with data, um, even if they didn't, you know, even if they didn't adopt it and put it into their monitoring systems, or maybe they don't have any monitoring systems at all. I mean, there's a lot of engineering teams that don't have that today. Um, no. You know, we, we were adding value to being able to identify problems that were happening with the application, even if it wasn't a security problem at all in the first place. And we know, and we know we invented the wheel. It's, yeah. it's, it goes back to, to what I was saying is like, this is the core basic of like literally engineering. So knowing what you have, knowing what you want to modify and then calculate it exactly or in rough estimation. So whenever, and, and monitor it. So whenever you exactly. touch something, you see what is the effect and that's, and then you adjust. So even in, in any kind of controlled experiment, you see all those things. So you know what you will have, you know, more or less how you poke it and you can monitor it. But I don't know why in software or in, in IT, it doesn't work that way. It's complex system, but. It... Well, it's, it's people. I think that's the hard thing. Right. And, and, and so what, what we're seeing now, so like, look, fast forward to now, like we've, we sort of took a lot of that functionality that that's kind of what. The, the founding story was for signal sciences. We, we try to make it so that it's very easy to both monitor and then protect your applications, right? But, um, you know, what, what, what we're seeing when we work with, uh, you know, a variety of different enterprises is that there tends to be kind of two different development methods and then mm -hmm. essentially two different ways that security teams need to interact with those development teams. One is the kind of more legacy approach, right? Which is like, it's a traditional network setup, right? Like you have a waterfall model of development, like the network teams kind of have their own layer where they can put in security products there and they don't really need to ever talk to the application teams. And it's almost like a routing layer where all the applications route up through one, one basic layer. Traditional, very it, traditional. It's traditional, but like in some ways it actually does. It some, works. It works. It works sometimes. It, it, well, I mean, it still goes. I don't know if it works perfectly. It goes. Right? It, it, yeah. it, it work. It, I think. I think. I think is is an exception of if the organization doesn't need to go at that speed and that pace. Not every right. organization needs to be that rapid. Totally. A, every organization is a data company, is an IT company, yeah. but not every organization needs to go at that pace. Well, and I think what they have solved for with that type of model is that really it's the politics of like who controls what and how do I get something like installed in a place that I can actually have a security control in place. And that network yeah. layer has been carved out for them to do that. And then they don't need to coordinate with a bunch of other teams to be able to get controls like that into place. And I think that's a huge benefit because you can actually get get something installed. The, the problem tends like, I mean, there tends to be a really big problem with the application layer. And that's exactly what we ran into using some of these older, older methods is that like that the network layer, actually, if it's protecting the application layer, it needs to be aware of what's happening at the application layer. Yeah. And so you, you, you can, we continue to see a bunch of breakdowns of what happens in that type of uh, environment and that type of sort of team structure. The other team structure that's emerging is one that, you know, call it DevOps, call it DevSecOps, call it whatever. It's really the way that I describe it is it's an integrated team. So you don't mm -hmm. have these separate layers. You don't have the network layer and then the, you know, the application layer and it goes through these waterfall models. It's that it's a very cyclical process where everybody's sort of working together. And it's good because you actually get people that are actually talking to each other and they're working together and they're building an architecture and a process around software development that's aware of these different components. The problems lie in 
it's not clear who has the uh, the buying power. It's not clear who has the actual control of what gets installed. I mean, it actually is clear about who has the control of what gets installed. And I'll tell you this much: it's not the security person. Everybody, like the security no, person. Yeah, I was like, security person has no control over what gets installed. But it's a matter of trust. It, right. It's where it, it, it's where the mind should shift from security being uh, common and control or mm. being in control. It, it, it's kind of. I don't know. I have a philosophy. It's kind of riding a wave. Mm. You're not totally in control, but you know you maintain your equilibrium. You know you, you're stable because you constantly monitor the situation. You, you're not in a tank and you know you're safe. You know that you're unsafe, yep. but you maintain the stability. So it's kind of taking risk, but maintaining it's risk judgment rather than fully tanking, going really, really slow. It's like surfing a wave and consistently adjusting because you have monitoring points. Yeah. Well, and I, like that, that sort of comes back to, I think, what you're particularly good at and what Zane was particularly good at and like what, what some of my favorite security professionals are good at is that they're good at building relationships. And that's, yeah. that's like really the key to great security professionals in those contexts is that if you do have to work with a bunch of different people at the same time, you got to build relationship, you got to build trust, and you got to build, um, uh, you know, reliability essentially from those folks. And you know, and no frills, no frills. And especially with the engineering team, it's like talking data, showing real information and pragmatic yep. methods. Yep. But that's hard. Like, and, and, and that to me is really something that's hard to sort of, um, you know, hard to scale. I think it's really hard to pattern match off of, right? Um, when other people are asking me about, hey, how should I build an, you know, a security team go forward? The, the the biggest piece of advice that I have for people building security teams now is um, is something that Zane did at Etsy and something we did together there, which was find um, people that are on the engineering side that have deep software development like software development um, uh, skills and have some interest in security and bring them onto your security team. And if you bring them on and you start building um, building folks that actually have those software development skills. A, there's going to be an inherent knowledge of what the developers do from a practical yeah. perspective. B, there's going to be some trust between the developers and that person already because they can sort of talk the talk and they've potentially worked with them. But C, like, I think the biggest thing is just that, um, you know, that, that trust is going to be, be, be built into that relationship and they're really going to be able to understand both sides of the equation, right? Because there's, it's not just going to be like security gets its way all the time, or or yeah. um, you know, developer gets get all the way all the time. You're going to be making, you're going to be making a lot of um, compromises in that yeah, in that it's, integrated it's like a marriage. model, right? It totally it's like a dysfunctional marriage. <laughs> totally. So it's like like the more that the security team can actually add some of those skills and experience of software development into their DNA, the easier it's going to be to work on both sides. And I've also seen this happen where it's like, look development teams take on and like I think you've done this where you actually have sort of security champions within each one of the development teams and you can embed those people there or sort of deputize them there that that's the other way around is that like that that's a way to scale that's that's the only way to scale but that's that's how you win hearts and mind you don't inject people but then you you kind of come to a philosophical challenge of application security is pretty specific thing yep. security attack as, as you were just saying, it's like it comes from a, an attacker mindset, not as a defender mindset. Yep. And same thing. So you still need the SMEs, but they, they really need to be paired up with champions, as, as, as we were discussing the other day. I, I, I mean, it, it, it's funny. That, like the, the majority of the kind of talks that I've heard around championing have been put a security person into an engineering no. team. 
but we need growing. to have an engineering person in the security team also to teach Absolutely. them the engineering side. Like we need both champions, right? Like to help. In every in every program that I've built in the past or I've led or or I had the pleasure to to be part of. Yep. I always grew them from from the engineering perspective. So they are ex developer and maybe they're not the best security expert, but they're the best enforcer. Yeah. Because they have their trust and and they're embedded in the organization so they know how things work. So so you 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 told me before you're going to ask me this question about, you know, hopefulness for the future and maybe we want to we, we can get for that now like cause Yeah, just this is but my hope for the future, right? is and and it's not even for the future i've seen that i'm seeing this happen now is that you're seeing engineers and security people working together in a way that engineers feel like they have an easy way to be empowered with security information that they can actually become security conscious and to me the only like the role of the security person needs to evolve from being responsible for all of security to empowering the development and the engineering teams to be able to self-serve that security to make it so that there, you have everybody there that's aware of the problems that are existing, so that they can solve them like while they while they happen. So, but that's that that's a hope for the future, and and thank you for for just yep. throwing it out there that we still have hope mm-hmm. as a security, but also that it's scary because it's it's completely unstable, it's completely unknown, uncharted territory. It's risky. Not everybody want to take that leap and that risk and that forward looking. Yep. So that's that's really, I think, the next step of security. Yep. Well, we're doing our part. We're trying. <laughs> I know you guys are doing your part <laughs> we're too. Trying, yep. We're trying to help. I mean, yep. we, we, we're trying to build a platform to prioritize things so to help engineering. Okay. You guys are, are trying to build your own platform to, to monitor. We attack things from a different perspective, but yep. ultimately it's, it's, yep. it's a good marriage. It's a good forward-looking thing. For sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you you burn the you burn the positive message, so I'm gonna punish you with a new positive message. <laughs> new positive message. But I, I'm gonna ask you from okay. not from a security perspective. Okay. Actually, the, the interesting part is from a CIO perspective, or, or from um, a product owner coming into security. So if if you need to give a positive message to people that wanna convert their career, that wanna uh, understand more their world, what what it's First, a suggestion, and, and second, a positive message. Yeah, so uh, for people moving into security, I, I will say there is a ton of opportunity there. Um, and part of the reason why I moved uh, careers from um, from being focused on product development and just on the product side into security was uh, seeing how how many problems there were to solve. So if you're into technology and you're into product and you're into, sol- and you're into problem solving, there are a ton of problems still left to solve uh, in security uh, that, uh, that is very ripe for the picking. So uh, yeah, that, that would be my sort of, uh, I guess, suggestion to folks that are looking to that. But also like the hope is that, um, you know, the, the more of these people that actually make that transition and, and we're getting, we're seeing this, there's more and more great security professionals that are getting into it you don't even need to have to be, you know, multiple years of experience to be able to have an impact on security right away. So if, you know, if you're looking for really impactful and important work to do, I think that's the other side of it is that like, look, the world is moving to more and more software. Like we're seeing, seeing this even now in the, in the midst of COVID, like how are we interacting with anybody? It's all via software. Software is not eating the world. We own a, it we is own the a world. Software. software is the world now. Right. And so if you want to have some impact on, really protecting and figuring out how to make these types of interactions more safe for everybody around the world, which is like an eventuality of where we're moving towards, like get into security, 
Like there is, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things to, to, to protect. And like, look, we sort of joke about this, but like, who's on the front lines of some of the worst types of crimes these days? Like it's cybersecurity professionals. We don't yeah. view ourselves as police officers and like, it's a very different thing, right? It's not, it's not physical. Like we're not having physical, uh, you know, uh, we're not being physically threatened or something in the process of that, but it is really important work. And I, I don't think that that actually really gets talked about enough for the, the professionals that are in, in the industry right now, that they're doing work that's incredibly important to make people safe. Thank you, Andrew. That's, uh, I think that's the human aspect and the mental aspect is, is something that we explore uh, sometime, maybe not enough because it's, uh, I think with COVID situation right now, everybody, sometimes they have the time off, but from a security professional, we're getting hammered. We are flat out and we flooded with problem issue. And I think what's going to come after this, I think is, is a global cybersecurity breakdown, but also the realization that it's important to protect yourself mm. and your asset and we're doing important work. Mm. But I, I absolutely thank you for, for coming on the podcast today. It was an absolute pleasure and a fun conversation. We're never going to have enough conversation like this, but it's, it's, it's my pleasure from uh, a mind like, 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 a, like a person that comes from an engineer's, prospective into security so thank you so much hey we got a, a, a lot of work ahead of us uh to solve some of these problems <laughs> but it's uh you know it's important to stay it's important to stay uh optimistic and i really appreciate that that aspect of how you approach these conversations so thank you so much for thank having me you. on the show thank you everybody yeah. for listening I hope you enjoy the content. I hope you enjoy the website. Please follow us uh, on LinkedIn, on social media, on YouTube. Uh, but most important, visit www.cybersecuritycloudpodcast.com for the latest podcast. Uh, give us a like on social media. Give us a follow on YouTube uh, or any other platform where you listen to this podcast. I really appreciate your time. And this is your host, Francesco. Stay cyber safe so we are all cyber happy. Thank you.